on TV, I can love and appreciate him. But if he was a real man, I'd be like, get the fuck out of my life. Like, you know, like, I don't like grumpy men. But on TV, it like absolutely works. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Watched It, the show about shows. I'm your host, Caitlin Berger. I'm a professional flutist who would usually rather be watching TV. Am I an expert on TV? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I tend to forget everything I watch within one business week, but I really believe that you do not have to be an expert if you want to have a good old chat with friends and family about our favorite TV shows, the characters that resonate with us, and of course, the scenes that make us flip out. Today on the pod, we'll be discussing the iconic show Gilmore Girls, and yes, I absolutely did want to belt out the theme song at the beginning of this episode, but I saved you all the pain of hearing that, so thank me later. Gilmore Girls beats out Search Party as the longest-running show we've discussed on the podcast so far, so needless to say, tons of spoilers lay ahead of you. You might want to binge the show first, but that will take kind of a long time. So you can just stick around and discover it through hearing three fans psychoanalyze every character on the show. Gilmore Girls for the Uninitiated was a drama slash comedy show created by Amy Sherman Palladino that premiered on the WB in 2000. Yes, the actual year 2000 and ran for a grand total of seven seasons. We will not be discussing the reboot in today's episode, but you can let us know if you do want us to do that in the future, because I think we all have some uh, juicy thoughts on that. Gilmore Girls chronicles the lives of Lorelai and her teenage daughter Rory in small town Connecticut, and it's widely considered to be the coziest fall show on the planet. There are so many amazing actors that have appeared on this show throughout its run, including, but not limited to, Alexis Bledel, Lauren Graham, Melissa McCarthy, Scott Patterson, Kelly Bishop, Edward Herman, Sean Gunn, Jared Padalecki, Milo Ventimiglia, Matt Chukri, and I'm running out of breath because there are so many more incredible people that I would love to list, but the show must go on. Question for you, listeners. Have you subscribed to our podcast yet? No? Well, what are you waiting for? It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our very fun episodes, so go ahead and click that button. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us, which really helps us out, and feel free to just generally share our podcast with your friends and family so we can all talk about TV together. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show. Joining me to discuss Gilmore Girls is producer Jackie, as well as our friend Amanda. Hello, both of you. Hi. Hi. How are you both doing? Super good. You? Pretty good. Feeling like a little emotional about this. Good. <laughs> Very excited. Honestly. Yes. I think it's a show that we all really, really love. So I'm just so happy that we're here doing this today. <laughs> Amanda, it's your first time on the podcast. So how do you know both of us? I think this might be our first guest that we both know. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. My first podcast recording. Uh, I met both of you through the music program at McGill. Uh, I know Jackie and I do woodwind quintet together for at least a couple of semesters, I think. Yeah. And I forget exactly how Caitlin and I met. Like, I don't remember the first time that we met, but I feel like I knew you for like all of my undergrad. Yeah, uh, same. So we must have met pretty early on, but I can't actually like remember meeting you specifically. Yeah, we, we must have been for sure in like ensembles probably from the first semester. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's that. So it's been quite a while that I've known both of you, but I haven't seen Jackie in a really long time. So it's fun to be, to be mm. back. 
Amanda, we also want to get to know you a bit as a TV watcher. So what are some of your all-time favorite shows and which genres do you normally gravitate towards? Gilmore Girls is definitely on my list of top faves. That and Grey's Anatomy are probably my most standard, like, always kind of continuously re-watching in the background. I do love other medical dramas as well. So I think I've seen most of them, like Private Practice, The Resident. So I know Grey's Anatomy is eventually going to come to an end. What's like the best one to watch after that? I do really like Private Practice. It's actually a spinoff of Grey's Anatomy, which the people like don't know exists, but it's like Addison Shepard moves to LA and like goes into her own practice. But it has a couple of storylines that are like super dark. So I've like never been able to get myself to re-watch it. Um, because it is like it has some like intense and like Grey's Anatomy is pretty intense but like there's a couple like plot lines in private practice that just like were like really especially like gutting to me so like take that with a grain of salt but it is a really good show those are my big ones I do like a fantasy genre more so movies than shows but I really like like the shadow hunters both the show and the book but I really like like Marvel X-Men like any kind of superhero I do like Star Wars but I wouldn't consider myself like a humongous Star Wars fan like I feel like most people are like at a much higher level than me but I do enjoy that type of genre as well yeah I love a good like cheesy rom-com especially like the holiday themed ones like whatever like random ones Netflix pumps out every year like I'll watch all of them I am a fan of that same here holiday movies any of that I'm into epic yeah I think our tastes overlap today like for all of us (laughs) yeah for sure yeah and before we dive into today's show I would love to know what content you both have been consuming lately. So that can be, uh, of course, TV shows, movies, podcasts, books, any sort of artistic content that you want to shout out. I just yesterday finished the last episode of The Vampire Diaries. Oh, wow. I'd only ever watched the first few seasons, but I finally got like an Amazon Prime and I was able to watch it all the way through to the end. So I've just been like absolutely binging that for the last month or so. Is pretty excellent. The last episode made me cry a lot. That's iconic. Yes. I didn't watch till the end, but I watched at least the first like three seasons or something. So yeah, I feel like a lot of people stopped there, but I think it's worth a watch through to the end. It has like a bit of a lull, but then it like it brings you back. What about you, Jackie? I've been watching a lot of movies lately, and one that really stood out to me recently is The Hunt, directed by Thomas Winterberg, starring Mads Mickelson. I'm still constantly thinking about this movie since the moment I finished it. It's just one of the most morally complexing films I've ever seen in my life. And it's very compelling. So I recommend that. It might be a little bit hard to watch for some people, but it's truly well done. And then I watched an anime recently, just binge the whole thing with a friend called Erased. It was kind of cool because it's just like going back in time in your life. And it kind of reminded me of like elementary school, like what desk did I sit at in this class? That type of thing. Like I was like, wow, I wouldn't be able to do that probably. And then I've been watching, it's finally back, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And it's very good this season. I love it. People who gave up on it last season, come back. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Yes. Jackie is our resident reality TV watcher. We love it. I myself recently started watching The Americans, which was like a 2010s show and I honestly don't understand a lot of what's happening because it's like spying Russian American Cold War things but I really enjoy the acting and the characters and like the stakes involved and then I took Jackie your recommendation for the Dear Hollywood podcast and I think I'm up to date now I think I listened to all of the episodes Allison Stoner writes and hosts it and it's like so well done, just really diving into the atrocities committed in Hollywood that just seem to be coming out a lot more nowadays. <laughs> so yeah, really good podcast. Okay, so big show, 
long running show that we're going to dive into right now. So let's start simple. Did you watch Gilmore Girls when it aired or did you come to it at a later time in your life? To be honest, when it was airing on TV, I was probably just deep into my Disney Channel days. So I was not very aware of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually started watching it, I think in 2013 or 2014. I like had a surgery and I was in bed for like a month. And one of my neighbors, shout out Kathy, I doubt she'll ever listen to this. (laughs) She was really lovely. And she uh, was trying to like bring things for me to be entertained and like comfortable. And she brought me all of the Gilmore Girls DVDs like in a stack. And she's like, you have to watch all of these. Okay. And I was like, well, I have the time. So I just (laughs) was in my bed for about a month and just watched them all constantly. Old-fashioned binging. Oh, love that. And the DVD of it all, that's Mm -hmm. iconic, right? You had to change the DVD every few episodes. There's more commitment. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Amanda? Yeah, I likewise only watched it later in life. Yeah, I remember I had one really good friend growing up that was super into it when it was out. She even like named her iPod Rory. So like that was kind of my only like real like connection to the show like when it was airing uh which is funny because I actually grew up in small town Connecticut I didn't know if you even remembered that when you invited me on the show but yeah so obviously like I feel like I should have watched it growing up but I guess maybe having lived there like not as many people were huge fans I don't know or maybe just I was like not the right age at the time um but I watched it also in 2014 so it was like the year that I moved to Montreal yeah I was sick with something I think I had some sort of like flu that fall and it was like perfect fall vibes that I just like sheltered at home and watched like a ton of Gilmore Girls yeah oh no I definitely did remember that you're from Connecticut and I was like wow that is perfect connection yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I'm surprised by this I think I'm the only one here then that actually watched it when it was airing certainly absolutely did not watch every single episode especially because when it premiered I was like six years old or five actually but I do absolutely know that I watched it a bit when it was airing which is kind of fun however I have like zero memories of watching it then whatever year the reboot was going to come out I decided to watch the whole show from start to finish mostly I remember only like the Dean years I certainly never saw any of the like Logan stuff before so that was really fun and do you tend to rewatch it regularly or do you remember specific times you've rewatched the show? I definitely rewatch it pretty regularly. Like you said, it's just like the perfect fall show. There are certain plot lines that are a bit heavier, but like by and large, it's a pretty like relaxing background show to put on. And kind of like no matter what part of the show you put on, like it's rare like an episode that like you needed to like really watch all the build up up to it. So I find like the perfect kind of casual viewing show and like good cozy vibes. Something like nostalgic for me as well of Small Town Connecticut. So yeah, definitely like throughout the year, every year since I first watched it, I have rewatched Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Absolutely love that. From beginning to end, I only watched it, like I said, before the reboot came out. And then last year I decided to do it again. And so I think now I'm like committed to doing it maybe every two years so that there's enough room so that when I come back to it, it feels like a little bit new again or something. But also because it's such a big commitment. <laughs> like, oof. Yeah, that's a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, even this week, like I basically went through every season and I only watch like key scenes based on whatever, you know, notes I took. But I also like scrolled through, you know, like on Netflix, you can scroll at the bottom and the scenes go by. And so I did that for every episode. And so I was like, oh, my God, this took forever. And I didn't even watch the whole show. Oh, my gosh. There's so much good content in it. What about you, Jackie? Do you rewatch a lot or specific times? You know, I'm not a huge rewatcher in general, maybe for some comedic things. But I think I've only rewatched a few episodes and that's usually when somebody else is watching it and I'm just in the same room as them. And I'm like, Oh, I love this show. Uh, I did rewatch last year. 
a few episodes with Logan and Rory because I was going to make like a music video with the Taylor Swift song Champagne Problems. Wow. <laughs> and then I like screen recorded all of it. And then I went to YouTube and there were like a thousand already made. So I was like, ah, I'm not doing that. The Swifty Gilmore Girls like fan base crossover must be like immense. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Oh, that's amazing. And do you both remember your initial impressions the first time you watched? Hopefully you do have those. Like I said, my memory is shot, even though I somehow watched it when I was a kid. But I don't remember at all, like the first time watching it. So what were your impressions when you first started like the first season? I was pretty instantly sucked in because of the dialogue, because it's just like so much going on at once. And I was also on drugs because the pain medicines I was on made me super emotional and stuff. So I think I was just like, yes, this is like such a good way to distract me from my pain I'm in right now. And you know, I thought it was hilarious, endearing, cozy, laughed, cried. I was like, I can't stop. Like, get me the next DVD. I love that so much. I love also just like, I was literally on drugs watching this. I haven't actually watched the show completely sober. That sounds like kind of a fun experience, though, depending on the drug. <laughs> What about you, Amanda? Yeah, I don't remember that much of my first go through. I do know, like, it's hard for me to get into new shows. I do a lot of rewatchings, like, maybe the opposite of Jackie there. And I do remember being, like, immediately hooked. Like, I remember for some reason thinking I wouldn't like it. I guess maybe being from Connecticut, I was like, oh, like, oh, like, there's a reason I haven't watched it yet or something. But I remember, yeah, like, from episode one, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be great. I'm going to watch every single episode and love it. I remember my first watch through, I was, like, obsessed with Logan. Like, I was, like, enthralled with him the first time through and I think like I'd at least seen like clips and stuff of a lot of Gilmore Girls but I'd never seen anything of Logan so I was like oh my god like how did I not know he was in this I'm sure we'll get more into Roy's love interest later but I have like somewhat differing feelings now but yeah the first time through I remember being like a humongous fan of Logan so that stands out (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so cute yeah and like you're mentioning I mean there are so many characters on this show of course but I, what I would love to do first is just focus on Lorelai and Rory and just talk about them both individually as characters as well as their relationship. So what strikes you about these two beautiful people? Well, one thing that I really love about Gamal Girls is that like the characters are very flawed, but I think they're like kind of realistic portrayals of people. Like I hear a lot of people complain about Lorelai and Rory, like Lorelai's like so irresponsible and a bad mother and like blah, 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 like Rory's so this, that. Which, like, fine, but I think that that's one of the things that's so great about the show is that they're super multifaceted characters that, like, totally make mistakes and, like, I don't love everything about them, but that's, like, what being, like, a person is. So I find it kind of, like, more real in that way that I think, and it's not just them, I feel like the characters throughout, or they have good and bad in all of them. Like, I think the faults that those characters show are actually really cool, like, aspects of their personality and of their character. So I think it's, like, really great watching how they, like, grow and change and even watching, like, the flaws that, like, stick with them, like, through the whole time. Like, it kind of reminds you, like, we're all human and, like, we all have our tendencies to, like, go in certain directions or whatever. I completely agree. And I have seen, like, I don't know if you guys have, but, like, TikToks where people like therapists or whatever, like diagnose what kind of relationship they have or like (laughs) mental illness. I don't know that they have. Um, Of course, like you hear a lot nowadays about how, oh, they're too like enmeshed and like Lorelai doesn't have enough boundaries as a mother with Rory and like how she puts too much on her or whatever. And in some ways, of course, I agree. Like if these were real people that I knew and knew this about them, like how much they talk about each other's problems, maybe I would somewhat agree, but like (laughs) At the end of the day, like, there are so many fucked up family relationships that exist in the world. And, like, the fact that these two people, like, love each other to the ends of the earth, even when they're not talking to each other, they would still do anything for each other. That 
is like one of the only good family relationships on TV, <laughs> honestly. And like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, those TikToks are like funny, but I think at the end of the day, like especially sort of casually rewatching this week, I was like, no, this is just really beautiful. Yeah, I just think they love each other so deeply and it's really evident and there's a lot of moments of tension, but you still see their affection and like the sacrifices Lorelai might make during certain times, the misunderstandings, like they really are good at communicating with each other for the most part and being a really great support system. I know there might be like some boundaries that might be ideally a little bit better, but overall I'm super supportive of them and I think they're very sweet. Yes. I I love that characterization. And do you both tend to gravitate or relate more to one versus the other like at least for me especially again this week going back and taking notes and stuff I realized that watching the show I was more invested in Lorelai's storylines um, and like you were saying Amanda like they're both very flawed people but in very realistic ways and what was funny too is that when I was thinking especially also of storylines that we'll get to soon that I enjoyed watching I was like no I don't like when that happened no I don't like when that happened and like I realized like you know, like there's so many things that happen that you're like, oh, I wish that had happened differently, but you still enjoy watching this show. What I love about Lorelai, of course, is that she's hilarious. She's quippy. She's smart. She's everything, just an amazing person. But I also really can relate to her in certain aspects, especially like family dynamics and that sort of thing. Though what I do love also about Rory is, you know, at least she starts out being quite introverted. She's a reader. She wants to be a journalist, like go sort of the intellectual route, I guess. And even though, you you know, maybe she can be characterized as like a goody two shoes or something. Again, it's like there's very few shows that show teenagers like that. So um, it's kind of nice in a refreshing way, at least in the first few seasons for her to just be like, a chill, normal teenager that's not like doing drugs and having sex every weekend or whatever. We've talked a lot on the podcast about how I have a gripe with (laughs) shows like that. But yeah, do either of you either gravitate more towards one or the other or like see yourselves in one of them? I think certainly aspects of both for me. Like I really resonate with Roy's like kind of perfectionism and being a little more like type A, whereas like Lorelai's not so like that. So in that sense, I definitely relate more with Rory and can like see maybe her frustrations of sometimes like being in a household with Lorelai who is so opposite from her in some of those ways, being like so disorganized and kind of chaotic. But in other ways, I think I really do relate with Lorelai's plot and kind of growth. And I think like one of her major flaws, especially like with her mom and her parents, is just like how stubborn she is. She's just like relentlessly independent to the point of being just absurdly stubborn. I think that's like such a relatable flaw maybe it's just me but uh <laughs> yeah and I think it like does a really good job of portraying her that even when she like knows she's being unreasonable or sees it getting in her way like Rory's really the only time that she's able to like push through that stubbornness to like open up to her parents or ask for help or whatever it may be I think it's a really interesting plot line I haven't really seen that exact type of thing explored in other shows especially because this is such about just like the day-to-day life of them there's parts of both that I love I can resonate with both of them I love Lorelai a lot. I think the first time I was watching it, I was a little bit more like Rory. I was like at a similar place in life, like Amanda, just barely like entering university kind of. So you could relate a lot to like that vibe of going to university that feels kind of, I don't know, elite in a way. You know what I mean? Like the same vibe for sure. Uh, Similar types of people there, similar environment. So I definitely felt like I could relate to her. But I absolutely adore Lorelai. I think she's such a cool human. Very fun. Could watch her forever. Oh, my God. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) 
And what other characters throughout the seven seasons do you both find compelling, uh, relatable, funny? Just like what other characters do you want to shout out? I love Luke. He gets some credit for being a father figure for Rory, but I don't think he gets enough. There's certain like wonderful moments, like even when Luke is attacking Christopher, when they catch Rory, like making out with Logan, he's like, well, where were you when she got the chicken pox? And like also when Lorelai writes the like letter in support of Luke for his like visitation with his daughter to be like, maybe things between like Luke and I have always changed, but Luke has like always been there for Rory and like has always been such a like deep old person in her life. I do not like the April plotline. We'll get that out there right now. Cause it's like so rooting for Luke and Lorelai. Every time the show gets back there, I'm like, it's, it's, everything. it's hard but again like it's like a valid response to that like he's flawed and he doesn't handle it great and like a lot of people wouldn't handle that great so yeah all the love to luke i love his character he's like a grumpy legend i'm a big fan yeah i was gonna say like he's definitely the grumpy trope and like him and lorelei like grumpy sunshine sort of trope so good. Best iteration of that, obviously, in any media. But it's the sort of thing where it's like on TV, I can love and appreciate him. But if he was a real man, I'd be like, get the fuck out of my life. Like, you know, like, I don't, I don't like grumpy men. But, but on TV, it like absolutely works. That's totally like my general when people ask me like, oh, is like being in small town Connecticut like Gilmore Girls? I'm like, e- kind of, but like, it's not that charming in real life. You know, like some things that seem charming on TV are not in real life. And also the like, small set of characters in a small town like on tv they make them all super interesting and charming not the case in real life good to know got the insider scoop here (laughs) luke was really quite special and i feel like throughout the whole show you can really see his importance and the impact that he has had on lorelei and rory and the community which i think is really special the diner is such a significant part of the show and the food there is just like very comforting as well so i feel like even though he is grumpy his food contributes to the coziness of the show so it's kind of ironic and then speaking of food I think Suki is really special I think she was one of my favorites to watch just wow does a lot I mean a lot of the characters actually do a lot like wow that's like overachiever uh do you ever take naps because I need one every day yeah I think she was a lot of comedic relief but also just like really gentle and sweet and supportive and all of her food really made the show so much better even just wow fun to look at Caitlin you texted me the other day yeah I texted Jackie the other day because when I was rewatching things the weekend before I had just rewatched the bear and we did an episode on that a few weeks ago so check that out people listening but I was like hmm I'm curious like Jackie who do you think's a better cook like Carmi or Suki and what did you say, Jackie? I said, I'm going to say that Carmi is a better cook, but Suki is a better baker. Yeah, love that. And I feel like that <laughs> says a lot about her personality, kind of. But she can do it all. She can do it all. I have, absolutely. <laughs> and what I absolutely love, honestly, is that we see a plus-sized actress and character in a show. Mm-hmm. She's a comedic character and personality for sure but it's certainly not over the top it's not making fun of her in any way she's an accomplished person and unfortunately in hollywood the second you put a fat person on screen all of a sudden they have no value they're there to be made fun of they have no skills all they do is eat like all these stereotypes that are just not warranted or very harmful and you really don't see that much with Suki. If anything, also on this show, I'm sure there's moments of fat phobia throughout it because it's the early 2000s. How could there not be? But there certainly is way less than I'm sure any other show someone can, you know, pick out of a list, which is just honestly nice to recognize. <laughs> like I said, it's not perfect, but 
I don't know. I love Suki for that. I think she's such a beautiful person and friend. She's an accomplished chef, obviously, and she just brings so much to the show. I also really love Paris. Um, I think she's so hilarious in the most unique way. I mean, I love her and Rory's relationship and friendship and how it evolves. But like, wow, especially the actress's commitment to her personality and being so intense and so passionate and so over the top, but like in a nuanced way. What a character. Yeah, I totally agree. Paris is an excellent character. And it's like, I mean, you like love to hate her. And like, it's awesome to see even like your relationship with her as a viewer, like grow throughout the seasons and kind of the direction all takes. And I agree. I totally love Suki. I think she's a great character and is like a great friend to Lorelai and their friendship is awesome. And I also love like Suki and Jackson's relationship and kind of watching her struggle with like becoming a mother and like all of those aspects of her personality are awesome. Uh, and I totally agree. I love that like her weight is not a plot point. Like at no point in time does it come up. And like that is what I find is rare in shows. It's, like it does not come up a single time. She's not like talking about dieting. She's not talking about being unhappy with her body. Like it is just not something that ever comes up. And I love that. Just all such good role models. But I love that like I started with like they're all flawed. Like they all have like things they mess up or like mistakes they make, but they're all still so lovable. The only pushback on that is when it comes to Jackson, because not to get ahead of ourselves in terms of talking about storylines, but my God, that man deserves jail time for not telling Suki that he didn't actually get a vasectomy. Because honestly, I don't want to get dark, but like that to me goes under the sexual assault rape category. When you are not being honest with a sexual partner about things that can happen after you both have sex such as getting pregnant (laughs) that I remember I think I guess in 2016 or whenever it was a a few years ago watching that I was like I certainly didn't remember it from watching it as a kid and I was like uh what Jackson he lost me there (laughs) no it's so true I actually totally forgot about that plot point uh really (laughs) buried that one that was really messed up yeah any other characters that you both want to shout out i do love michelle he gets a little extra montreal shout out being a montrealer uh his character is great and hilarious he's also great just like comedic relief but he actually like super lovable like again with parents like you really grow to like appreciate him more and more as the seasons go on too so yeah i really appreciate him oh yeah he is so funny i wish we see like more of his personal life i think that could have been cool i think so too he's so quippy he gives lorelei run for her money which is like you know, no one else on the show could really do that, I feel like. <laughs> totally, totally. And Taylor as well. Like, Taylor and Lorelai's, like, banter is also True. hilarious. Oh, Taylor's special. <laughs> oh, my God. And Babette. I forgot about Babette, the oh, neighbor yeah. Babette. Also hilarious. And when they're walking their cat Cinnamon, like, in a, like, little baby stroller. Oh, my God. Yeah. Babette and Maury. Big fan of that as well. Relationship yeah. goals. <laughs> I don't know if this is an acting choice, a directing choice. I don't know what it is. But I love with Babette that, like, the only way she- words come out of her mouth are screaming. <laughs> I know it's so good scream yells anything she says at the same tone and pitch and volume no matter what she's talking and she's just like the raspiest voice (laughs) it's just fine it's so funny to me because sometimes she'll be saying something so normal but the way she delivers it is so extreme and it's just adorable yeah I of course also really love Kirk because he's just he's Kirk he's hilarious and again maybe this is too big a topic to get into to me he is absolutely autistic coded yeah he has sort of all of the very stereotypical traits of at least an autistic man and it really really struck me when I watched I think last year um, when I was watching the show because I'd been looking into a lot of neurodivergent 
just content and stuff like that from the last few years. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like anytime you have a character in TV and film who's considered the weird person in the town, they're autistic. Like that's the hill I will die on basically. I would never have expected them, I guess, to like make it canon or whatever at the time. But yeah, it's just fascinating to watch him nowadays with that lens of like knowing more about neurodivergence. So that's true. I never thought about that specifically, but you're totally right. But I love how the town like by and large supports him. Like he's pretty beloved, like especially Luke. Like they have some really cute moments. Like when Luke finds all those like hidden Easter eggs for Kirk and Kirk is like, I love you, Luke James. That's like a really good moment. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, also at the end of season four, when he has the like night terrors. Yeah, oh my God. That's um, also yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so very good. so iconic so now let's talk about relationships which pairings that can also include friendships but which pairings of people did you most enjoy who are you rooting for let's dish on that definitely a big stan of luke and lorelei yes and i think the show obviously sets you up for that like i was just rewatching season one and even as cute as lorelei and max are together like you just see like how sad luke looks and like you can't possibly be rooting for max you know so i i'm a big fan of that the April plot is hard to watch, to say the least. It's hard to like watch Luke kind of like self-destruct and kind of like really sabotage a lot of things between them. But I still think it's it's a wonderful relationship. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most iconic friends to lovers, back to friends, back to lovers, back to friends, back to lovers. Oh, yeah. It's a thing that makes you keep watching more than anything else almost, right? Because it really is so intense. Like it makes you so angry and then it also makes you cry. And then they're perfect together in so many ways, but they're both stubborn. So that is a little bit frustrating to watch. And I also feel like sometimes, especially Luke, yeah, it's just like, why did you do this? Why can't you see like self-sabotage that is affecting everybody who's watching the show? <laughs> like, it is frustrating to watch. But of course, since day one, I've been rooting for them. Completely agree. Yeah, I think they're my favorite pairing on the show just like in general and like you were saying Amanda I also like Max I feel like other than Luke Max was maybe the best sort of pairing for Lorelai and like every time I watch I'm like there's not like a great reason why they didn't continue their relationship even though yes I wanted her to end up with Luke but like Max would have been the only other person that I think could have really you know made it with Lorelai but yeah like from the beginning you absolutely know that that's who you're going to be rooting for and especially like rewatching there are specific storylines I wanted to rewatch scenes of but they all involved Luke and Lorelai so like a lot of times other people would come on the screen and I just like scroll past you know until the next scene so they're just so compelling and especially because I don't find they butt heads I find they banter really well and they know each other so well that like Luke can't make Lorelai like feel hurt like in the sense of like let's say he talks in a brusque way or like if he's grumpy one day like she just will still be sunshiny and happy and whatever right so she doesn't take his um, communication style to heart but just as like their overall personality I find they work so well together because they just talk in such a way that you're like again in real life if I saw this happening I'd be really concerned (laughs) (laughs) as like TV characters it's so endearing and it's so cute (laughs) you can really feel the history there like all the years of them going through so much together and being so supportive and also all the inside jokes that they have as well like these two are just so meant to be together but also just know each other so well and find so much comfort in each other and it's cute because like you said that like Lorelai always tolerates when Luke is a little bit like 
brusque. Luke, likewise, is like never annoyed with Lorelai. And it almost seems like something that like, oh, well, he came to love her, so he accepts it. But then you find that like from like day one when he first met her and there was that like, you will meet an annoying woman today thing. It was like from day one, he like knew this was who she was and it just like tickled him, you know? Like it clearly just like really touched a part of his heart. You love like seeing a gruff character touch in with that like soft part of themselves, you know? Also love Luke with his sister and with Jess. Like I think those are such awesome storylines and especially like later on with him and Jess when like it starts to show like the impact that he really did have on Jess and he starts like feel that that yeah that he made that impact on Jess and that Jess does appreciate it it's like so heartwarming it's harder to appreciate the things with him in April because it just like disrupts so much other things in Luke's life but I do totally respect like how like from the second he meets April like he knows he's gonna do everything he can to like be in her life and like make things better for her like I think he always had the best of intentions so I respect it even though it's like a hard plot line to watch because it does kind of like derail his life (laughs) I really think he's a family man like in a less traditional way maybe like I don't know how to explain it but he cares about his family so much yes he has different ways of showing it maybe than I would or something but he loves his sister he would do anything for her he loves Jess I mean his relationship with Jess probably is the most complicated, but he's always going to be there for the people he loves. Like what really can you ask for more than that? Because he's so genuine about it. It doesn't matter if he's like a grumpy character, like you know when he loves you. And that's sort of relates to like Lorelai's character reference for him too. Like, you know, she talks about how you can really feel his love. You can feel when he's there for you. I mean, I don't really subscribe too much to like the, um, love languages thing if i did his love language would definitely be acts of service <laughs> like that's all he does 100%. <laughs> um he's really good at that and i would love that like that's something that like yeah i would love to have a person who just like <laughs> does really nice things for me and it's like the whole town and his is his family like as much as he's so annoyed and like the town meetings and like he's annoyed at the reenactors like he still goes out in the middle of the night and like brings them coffee like you can tell as much as maybe he acts so gruff and annoyed towards these people, like he would do anything for the people in this town. And yeah, it's just, it's so nice to watch. Yeah, he's an amazing character. Like I do think in terms of like realistic small town life, like the diner being the local kind of like hangout for everybody, like is a pretty accurate trope. And I think it was a really like cute and comforting way to kind of present that in the show. That in like Lorelai's Inn, I think is also like super classic, like small town Connecticut. And it like gives you like the right vibes and the right like type of people that people are like, meeting in the town so I think it was like super smart of the show to pick those two kind of main locations as well yeah I love that for sure what other pairings do we like I do really like Lane and Zach to talk about two new characters we haven't gotten to yet yeah I think it's really cute like the way that they grow together and like they're kind of like an unlikely couple like you don't like expect things to go that way but then they end up actually like so happy together and so supportive of who each other like really are like even when Lane tries to like get contacts because she's feeling like insecure and Zach is like no like I loved your glasses like you're a smart like nerdy girl and I love it about you like why would you change they clearly love each other for who they are and like never expected the other to change and and like Lane is so happy to get that like cheap like rock and roll ring he gets her when he proposes like they like have no expectation of the other to be anything other than who they are um, I think they end up being just like so cute together. Yeah, it's refreshing to see. I feel like even though they do stress me out a lot, like <laughs> oh my gosh, like the twist. Anyway, like just their lives. Like I'm like oh my gosh, I, I wouldn't be able to handle that. Like how how are they not freaking out? But that's the thing about them. They're the type of people who really appreciate like the little things in life and little moments in life that you can be present and like know that you have each other and so everything's okay and making the best out of it I think as well I will say so I do think they're a cute couple but 
Personally, I adored Lane and Dave Rogowski together. I think they were the cutest. I think personally he was the best male love interest on the show, in my opinion, certainly if, if they were real life people. He's adorable. I'm assuming, I never looked into it, and I'm assuming that Adam Brody had to leave for the OC. In the absence of him, okay, yes, I you know support um, Lane ending up with Zach. But they're so perfect for each other. And he's so like, he literally goes to the ends of the earth to like get support for Mrs. Kim. And like, he reads the whole fucking Bible. Like he does everything that he needs to do to be with Lane. And every time I watch, I'm just so heartbroken that, you know, he had to go. I certainly don't think it would have really worked if they had replaced him with a different actor. I mean, maybe, but I think Adam Brody is just like, oh my God, I respect all the decisions that had to be made in that situation. But truly, I think one of my favorite pairings yeah he's so sweet i guess while we're talking about lane i love <laughs> lane and her mom as well i never really thought about it until right now but it's such an interesting kind of like foil to rory and lorelei lane and her mom because they never really explain what happens to lane's dad and i think like her dad's even mentioned really vaguely in season one so i think like they never really like confirmed if he's in the picture or not but obviously he's like not really in the picture because he never appears on the show but yeah it's such an interesting foil that like Lane's mom is likewise super involved in her daughter's life, but in a much more like controlling way, or maybe it's just by chance that Lane turned out to like really just reject the type of life that her mom was pushing on her. Like Rory maybe could have been the same and like really disliked a lot of what Lorelai did. And like maybe it's just chance, maybe it is parenting style. But I think it's it's really cute to watch them grow together. And especially when Lane's mom does come around and is like, you're not quitting the band. Like I set up a whole like church tour for you, like across the whole country, like pull it together. Like at the end of the day, she does love and support Lane. And you can see how hard it is for her to realize that Lane is, like, hidden so much of herself from her. Like, I think she shows a lot of growth as a character and clearly loves her daughter more than anything. So it is a cute relationship, as much as they obviously have, like, a lot of challenges together. I feel like that might be quite realistic as well of the mindset of a lot of the people who, like, stay in those areas. Like, they might be really religious and have a hard time accepting their child being that way. So I felt like it was really believable in a small town to have that. Um, and it was also really interesting to watch, actually, the dynamics between them. I mean, even just the mother's, like, psychology. I was just like, this is kind of fascinating. Totally. Yeah. And the antique shop is another, like, classic small town Connecticut thing. So, like, another mm. great choice <laughs> setting-wise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very cute shop. Yeah. I think it's also very representative of what immigrant families go through, right? I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated. I would assume Lane was born in the States, but maybe not. But certainly I think her mom came from Korea, right? So from sort of a bit of my own experience, though I'm not Korean and you know, listening to so many people talk about this type of representation over the years, I think it's really realistic of immigrant families and, you know, especially for parents having to reconcile their kids, yes, coming from their culture, but then being immersed in traditional American culture or white culture and having to deal with that and not wanting to lose your kid or being worried about what sorts of negative influences exist, all that sort of stuff. It would have been cool probably also to see even more of Lorelai and Mrs. Kim interact. I mean, they do sometimes throughout the seasons, but that could have been an interesting relationship to explore a bit more. I don't know how they would have done that, but <laughs> especially as to like you said, Amanda, seemingly single moms. We're not quite sure <laughs> what the situation is there. But yeah, I think it's from my vantage point, it seems to be very well done. Lane has so much to struggle with because of that, again, being sort of in the middle of two cultures, or there's so many ways of describing that struggle. But I love reflecting on it and 
seeing the the highs and lows of their relationships. Blaine rejects so much of what her mom taught her. It's a funny but also kind of heartwarming moment with Zach when she realizes like, oh, like I want to wait until marriage to have sex. And like, I didn't even realize that I felt that way because this is something that obviously was pushed down for my mom. But like in this moment now, like it's not something I want to reject. It is something that I believe in or that I want to do in any case. Um, so it's cool too to see Lane reckon with the things that she does like appreciate about her mom. And there's all oh the there's also that really beautiful scene when I think it was her baby shower for Lane that she's like, well, this is my last party. And someone was like, well, no, you can have parties when you have kids. And she's like, no, my mom did everything for me. And like, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do for my kids. And I think Lane's mom is there or something. You just see like both of them like have this like moment that like it's kind of come full circle that Lane's like, maybe I disagree with a lot of the things that you did raising me, but you made your entire life about me and like that's certainly something that I want to continue to do for my kid too it's super heartwarming absolutely really really beautiful relationship at the end of the day I mean look I have to ask are we rooting for any of these men to be with Rory do we want her alone or to find someone else do we like any of them I my thoughts actually changed on the subject but after taking notes this week so anyways I'm curious what you both think (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts on this. Like I said, my first watch through, I loved Logan and I was really disappointed that she ultimately like rejects him at the end. So I do think I would have been satisfied with that plot line. Like if she had either married him at the end of the real season, it's gonna be impossible to not talk a little bit about the reboot. Or if they were like actually fully happy together in the reboot, like cool, maybe that would have been cool too. Given the way that things went at the very end of the original show, And, like, when Jess kind of, like, comes back into the picture and, like, has his life together and is, like, a published author, I think at the end of the day, that maybe would have been the best choice for her. And certainly, I think in the reboot, if it showed that they had, like, been happily together for all this time and were both super successful and happy, like, I think I would have been thrilled to see that. They weren't great together at the time that they were together, but I think, like, the way that Jess came back later, he was actually way more put together than Rory at that point in their life. And I think they actually could have been, like, a great match together and really, like, grown a lot together. And I do think Logan and Rory had some of that potential too. But especially, yeah, just the way that their relationship kind of went at the very end, which I think was partially just like the writing and the change of direction in the show and whatever. Um, But they kind of lost a bit of that magic that they were kind of showing that Rory still had with Jess um, and kind of connecting with like that side of herself more. I have sort of gone on the same journey as you actually, Amanda, especially this week, because originally... Well, first of all, I I don't want to speak for you, Jackie. I assume we're none of us are Team Dean. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> we'll come back to him in a sec. But I mean, I had a soft spot for him when I rewatched for the first time because as a kid, I think I'd only really seen his seasons or like a little bit of Jess. And Jess in the early seasons, to me, I still think is an absolute asshole. I just really don't like him. So the only memory I really had of Dean was like, I liked Jared Padalecki. I thought it, he was cute and him and Rory are cute together. So, but then every time I rewatch, I'm like, oh my God. God, this man is awful. I was taking notes last week before rewatching anything. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I mean, I kind of have to be Team Logan because Dean and Jess just don't do it for me. They're they're both assholes in their own way, especially to Rory sometimes. And Logan is the only one that sort of kind of was decent most of the time. But no, I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Amanda, that like the reboot sort of comes into it. Like if they had just ended up together and stayed together, it would have made sense. But like you said, I feel like just in like, I guess season six ish, not that we see him much, but what we see of him is to me the most endearing person at that point. And I absolutely think him and Rory make the most sense just based on their interests and what they have in common and kind of how they view the world, maybe a little bit because 
with Logan, like there's sort of no good reason why they're together or not. I mean, they have some similarities, maybe because they both come from like, quote unquote, rich or wealthy families. But even then, his family doesn't approve of her. So they don't really have that much in common when you look back at it all. So it's interesting. And also, before I forget, I do want to shout out Marty a little bit. I know that he was never with Rory officially or anything, but I think he could have been the most like sane man that she might have been with. Like He's that sort of stereotypical nice guy who, of course, is not actually the most nice like you know things that happen towards the end of the series whatever don't paint the best picture of him but especially starting out when they both were friends and stuff i thought he was like the sweetest out of any of the people that she could have been with i think he just seemed like a very normal guy (laughs) and like so i often like wonder what the show could have been like if he was considered a a legitimate romantic interest for her because he never really was like i don't think rory ever considered really actually being in a relationship with him. So that's an interesting mind game sort of to play. Like, what if she actually ended up with Marty? (laughs) I have one gripe with Marty. Tell us, tell us. He does seem very nice, but he also like 100% knows that Rory is into Logan. And Rory like tells him that she's into Logan, like when it comes up. I think it's fair to be hurt and disappointed, but I think he acts a little bit too much. Like then he stops being her friend basically because he's like, well, I want more than that. And like... I do think it's fair to like be disappointed and maybe like have to take a step back from that friendship. But I think it also comes across a little bit like, meh, it was friend zoned and like, you're just going for the rich guy and like, why does anybody go for the nice guys? Like, I don't love that trope, you know? So yeah, that's my, that's my gripe. Thanks for bringing that up. I completely agree. That's why I was like, he's a nice guy. But then I remember I was like, hmm. But in that stereotype, right? Because he does start out, like in real life, like these quote-unquote nice guys, they're polite, they're kind, they're whatever. But then if they don't get what they want, they're mad at you and they don't like you anymore and they don't want to be your friend. And obviously, you know, it sort of works out for them in the end, more or less. But And, oh my God, sorry, I just forgot my like second huge gripe with Marty that I totally even blacked out on. Marty like pretends that he never met Rory and like expects her to lie to her new friends about having ever known him. And that's just like extremely uncool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That was very bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Roy like loses kind of like all her friends over that. Like that was like such an unfair situation. Agree. Yeah, I feel like for the sake of the show too, in terms of enjoyment of watching, like I don't think Marty would have been that fun to watch with her. And also potentially he could have just been like, oh, I like this girl. So I'm going to be like really nice to her so that I can maybe date her. So we kind of only got to see that side because it was like that part of like building a friendship or sometimes you might not always see the true colors yet. So, I mean, it could have gone either way, but like Amanda, I was very into Logan as Caitlin also knows. Oh yeah, I forgot so about the episode this. that came out last week, TV crushes. Logan may have even been, no, he was my number two I th- or number three, maybe. I was really obsessed with their relationship. And when the show ended, I was like devastated (laughs) that she said no to him. And I was like, how would she do that? But I also know the way that they portray his character too. like who wouldn't want like financial security. Like they show us this world that's very exciting. And when it comes down to it, though, chemistry wise, I do think that Jess and her do have a bit better chemistry. And they also have that shared history of Luke as well, which I think that's quite special when you have like somebody in common, especially someone as significant as him in both of their lives. So I think that could like forever bond them. Yeah. Uh, However, now I would still be okay if she was with Logan because I feel like he did at least try to work on himself quite a lot. Like he's a 
pretty significantly different person from when we first see him to when we see him last. Because that's also such a short amount of time, though, it's hard to tell like how much of that was just him changing for her to be more accepted in the relationship or how much of that was genuinely him trying to work on himself because he has a lot of work to do, that's for sure. But I do think that he tried and I do think he cared about her a lot. But yeah, I feel like I wouldn't be mad if they were still together. And at one point, it seems like his like personal progress in life like almost crossed Rory's. Same with Jess, right? Like she regressed so much in a way. Like maybe it's part of that like uh, golden child. Like what is it called? That phenomenon where you're like smart as a kid, gifted child, gifted child. There you yeah. go. The gifted child. Syndrome, maybe because, like, yeah, Rory definitely like suffers from yeah, that for sure. For sure. And so, I feel like for many of these other characters, they are able to grow more. But she, I think, is invited into this world where before she had like a little sneak peek through her grandparents, this world of like elitism and entitlement. But her mom obviously was like a single mom and they still had like a home and things like that. But I'm sure they never got to do extravagant things. And it was like, they're probably always on a budget type of thing. But her mom made it fun for her and stuff. But being introduced to this world of just opulence and extravagance, it drastically changed her personality in a really quick way. And I feel like maybe she finds a little bit more of herself towards the very end of the show but she's lost for a long time. And I feel like because of that, all these other characters have so much development, but she's really just like completely deluded by this lifestyle and who she is. It was kind of shocking to see actually. Yeah. I I love your thoughts on that. Related to that, I do want to just bring up one of my favorite lines and like acting deliveries in the whole show, which is, I think it's season six when Jess is visiting and he meets Logan he's talking to Rory and he's like, what are you doing with your life? You're in the DAR. Like, what is going on? And he's like, why did you drop out of Yale? And it's just like the way he says it. It's like, it's been going so on TikTok true. and stuff. And that's what like every viewer is thinking in their head for the entire season. is like, why did you drop out of yeah. Yale? And like, Jess just showed up and like says everything we want to be saying. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's why I think like the iteration of Jess in that season is probably the most mature out of the men she's dated or boys really and would probably be the best match for her and what's also interesting to look at like you're saying Jackie you know it's almost like Rory regresses in a certain way throughout the seven seasons because also I think with people like Logan the reason that at first I don't love him is because he's one of those people that is extroverted loves doing all these like risky daunting things whatever which is fine but there's such a thing in TV and film, and I can't remember if we spoke about this on the air or not, or just me and Jackie privately, but um, there's so many, uh, especially female characters in film and TV that are introverted, and it's seen as a bad thing. So they need to become extroverted later, especially in movies, I find. But this is an, an example of that in TV, where Rory starts off as a more introverted, reserved, quiet type of person. Like I said, she doesn't, in high school, she doesn't go up partying and whatever. And then when she meets Logan... It's sort of that stereotype of someone, quote unquote, getting her out of her shell or whatever. And it's not a bad thing. It's it's cool that she's able to experience like the life and death brigade and like doing things that she hadn't done before. And that's nice. But at the same time, it's like 
you see that she does change, especially when she does drop out of Yale and stuff. And so I don't think it's always so positive to tell introverted people to become extroverted because society is going to like them more and it's better for them. And no one is supposed to be introverted. We're all supposed to be extroverted, right? So that's why like at first I don't appreciate Logan as much as I do like later on when he just sort of comes to accept who she is. But yeah, I think it's like interesting to reflect on her journey in that sense. I think Logan just comes into her life Like, it's such an interesting time that she is, like, rejecting a lot of things from her childhood. Like, it's, like, the first time that she does kind of, like, take a step back from Lorelai, which I think as much as it's, like, a hard plot to watch, um, it shows that, like, like, yeah, like, there is, like, a side effect to that, to, like, having, like, no boundaries with your parent and having that type of relationship. Like, eventually, you know, she did kind of rebel against that. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that, like... Logan is there at that party where she, Rory and Dean break up after they've gotten back together because Dean shows up at Emily's house having a big party for her. And I think it's really interesting because, first of all, we're already all kind of thinking it like, okay, Rory, like, good luck staying together with your, like, ex from home while he's home and you're, like, at Yale. Like, we all know that's not going to work. But then also as she, like, yeah, expands more into this, like, more extravagant kind of, like upper class life at Yale and like embraces more of her grandparents. Like she's kind of like experimenting with what that part of her life could be. But it's ultimately Dean that then shows up and says like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't belong in your life. Like she doesn't say that. And I don't think she was even thinking it at that point in time. He kind of pushes her there. And then I think that certainly like propels that whole storyline forward that she's like, oh, maybe I don't belong in that old world. Like maybe I was meant to be in this world of like the Gilmores and Emily and like get in with like the death brigade and at Yale and it all kind of like pushes her down that road. And at the end of the day, Logan was super supportive during that, you know, and was like, wanted to just cheer her up and like gets it. Like he was born into that world too. And it came with a lot of negative side effects or like consequences for him. So it's all like, I think really interesting the way that they played out. Like, yes, at the end of the day, these are really like privileged problems to have, Uh, But that doesn't mean it's not, like, an interesting plot to still, like, explore in her character growth, you know? Even, like, her whole, like, gifted child syndrome. It's like, yeah, sure, I know a lot of people complain, like, well, like, what a, like, privileged storyline or whatever. Which, like, yeah, it's true. But there's also a lot of people that, like, have had experiences like that. That it's still, like, a very interesting thing, I think, to, like, see represented and kind of see what she goes through. So what do you guys think, like, psychoanalyzing her a bit? is the main reason that she decided to really drop out of Yale, like all these circumstances, what do you think is like in her heart and in her mind, the biggest reason why, or like psychologically why? I do think it had to do with Mitchum a little bit, him telling her that she's not going to make it in the journalism world, but specifically why it affected her, I think is because of this gifted trajectory that she had. I mean, as a kid, they don't necessarily talk a lot about her being in like grade school or anything, but you would assume that she's always had good grades. She's always done well in school, for example. She's always behaved well. That's, I mean, maybe a separate topic, but you know, she was aiming to go to Harvard and got into both Harvard and Yale when she even only wanted to go to Harvard anyways. So you get into two, <laughs> I would say the two biggest Ivies in the States, correct me if I'm wrong, but so she has this trajectory and then is essentially doing well, I would say, at Yale. She's in the newspaper, all this really, really privileged stuff, like you were saying, Amanda. And Mitchum is sort of the first time, maybe combined also with the fact that she was taking a lot of courses at that point, I think. But anyways, it's like the first time someone is telling her, like, in my opinion, whether he's right or wrong, we can discuss after, but he was telling her, you know, in my opinion, I don't see you being the best at this thing. I think it was like the shock to her that she can't be at the top of her game based on this one guy's opinion. I don't know. I think it just shook her 
a lot. And I still think it's like very valid for people. Like she was trying to convince Lorelai, like, you know, it's normal for people at my age to take time off school. And I do sort of think that Lorelai's whole thing of like, this is her dream. This is what she's been working for as a kid. I think that's a bit too much. Like, I think you should allow your kid to like maybe change their mind and grow or develop other passions in life. So I think she's a bit too boxing Rory in. Yeah. That being said, just an aside on Lorelai is that I love it at the end of the day she does end up sort of encouraging Rory to pick Yale. Like she was always the one that was more like, I don't want you following like my father's legacy. And like you've always, you were always supposed to go to Harvard. But when push comes to shove and she gets into both schools and Lori does her pro-con list, she's the one to be like, look, like you have more pros and the Yale column. Like I like that at the end of the day, as much as she clearly doesn't want the hat because she doesn't want her parents involved, she like does end up valuing more what Rory wants and what's going to be best for her. So I think that's super admirable. I think Rory's leaving Yale, I think it actually almost even starts when she gets back together with Dean, when she like cheats with him and he like cheats on his wife. Because that's when she has this first like major riff with Lorelai. And I think also this first realization that like, holy shit, like I really messed up. Because I think she does pretty quickly realize, like especially when she like writes that letter to Dean and then Lindsay finds it, like she clearly realizes she really messed up and like ruins some people's lives. And I think that's how she really shake like her worldview and her view of herself and her view of Lorelai and she feels so judged. And then I think that kind of pushes her in with Logan and she starts to really explore like what would it be like like if Lorelai like hadn't left home and we'd stayed in this like Gilmore legacy. I think that's gonna be also pushed her to leave Yale because she's like she doesn't know that she's gonna move in with her grandparents right away when she leaves Yale, but I think she's already started to like consider more of the things. Like she just went on this big Europe trip with Emily all paid for. I think that would have happened before. Yeah, it would have been before she drops out of Yale. So I think she's, like, gotten a taste of that and almost just decides to, like, resent this whole idea that, like, she needs to work hard and go to Yale. And it's like, well, I'm, like, a Gilmore and I'm, like, rich. And, like, Emily never did this. And, like, what if I just did that? Like, what if I, you know, I think she must just sees that as, like, an alternative life for herself and decides. Certainly, I think Mitchum, like, pushes her over the edge. But I think it just is like that last thing that just shakes like her view of herself that she's like, what if I just like wasn't this person? Like, what if none of that is who I really am? And I was meant to just like be in the DAR and like, you know, get a Birkin bag from Logan, you know, like I think and like, I think that's fair, like to be tempted by that. Like if I had the option to like be super rich and like live that kind of life, like maybe I would be like tempted to explore it as well. Yeah, if you found out you had like a, basically like a secret, like super rich loaded family, like would you be tempted to just like go away, especially after dating Logan and having Logan's dad of all people be the one to like, I don't know, it's all very interesting. It's not fun to watch again, like to watch her kind of like rip her life apart, but it's interesting for sure. I think it's cool too to see then when she does move in with Richard and Emily to that she basically has like the same annoyances that Lorelai had and is like, oh, like now I get why my mom was like super not into this. Yeah, it's hard to watch, but you can't look away. And I think it really is a bit of an identity crisis. Yesterday, I was like, did Rory really have like, like, what was her mental health like, you know, and because she seemed kind of in the early years, like pretty grounded, but maybe some anxiety, um, maybe in some ways some OCD. I don't know her mind, though. So but uh, I really feel like this is all just a lot of stressful events that would affect anybody. Like the whole cheating thing, that's intensely stressful. And I think she does have from her upbringing, like a good sense of what is wrong, right and wrong. She's definitely a people pleaser and she hasn't done anything yet to like displease people or like hurt people in such a way. But then having the access to money and having access to that life is like kind of a nice escape. Her whole trajectory and identity 
which I think is very common for people that age, if they're really good at something like even like classical music, I feel like when I was that age, I was like, like, that's like my core identity. And if I don't do this for the rest of my life, I'll be disappointed or whatever. I feel like because of that, she just like completely breaks down and runs away, has this great option for an escape, (laughs) a temporary escape. Yeah. And I think it's like, especially because she was so mature growing up, like in some ways, because Lorelai was a little bit all over the place that she never got to like, be a kid but having that safety net of like her grandparents and stuff like I think it makes sense that she kind of regressed in that way it was like what if I was just like a spoiled brat like what if I was just a kid and like I stopped being responsible and stopped like working so hard towards the future especially even like just her whole childhood being about getting into Yale or into Harvard but then ultimately like choosing Yale like I remember feeling a little bit similarly like especially in the States, like so much emphasis is put on getting into a good college. And then you get there and you're like, well, what now? And especially if you do have that gifted child syndrome that like suddenly she's not, she's like a small fish in a big pond again. Like I get how that on its own could even bring a certain sort of like identity crisis, plus then with everything else going on, like I think it it makes sense. And there's like a little bit of that parentification. I think that happened when she's younger too, which is probably out of everything in their relationship, the most maybe problematic thing about it although I think they do it in a way that's like much better than a lot of people's situations she wasn't like cooking for her mom and like making sure her mom's like you know she was was still quite functional but because of this responsibility and she had her eyes like only set on these schools and this vision which I think is really dangerous in the mind to like set up to this has to happen and if not like my whole world is over and then it's funny too like watching Paris go through like a similar thing like when she doesn't get into Harvard like Paris is a cool like foil to Rory I almost wonder like if Rory would have been more like that like if she just grew up with Emily and Richard like if she would have been a little bit more like that I don't know yeah Paris's trajectory is very interesting especially in comparison to Rory's I feel like Paris is that person that sort of goes in and out of the path that she was aiming for right she's aiming to go to Harvard she doesn't get in okay well then she readjusts she goes to Yale at some point well I know especially with the newspaper she (laughs) gets booted off at one point because she's a tyrant so she loses that or like the med school question so it's it's all these things where Paris like goes in and out of the position she wants to be in I guess whereas Rory sort of just stays on that path and then just gets off of it like cold turkey so it's like more jarring maybe to see that happen to Rory whereas for Paris, at least since she didn't get into Harvard, after that you see her on a bit more of a roller coaster than Rory. So very interesting that their journeys are paralleled that way. Even after Rory comes back to Yale, when they're like nearing graduation, like Paris has like this grid she's trying to get Rory to follow of like all these rigid like CV building and like interviews and like this and that and like you know Paris is applying to like all these grad schools, like has like tons of plans in the works, and Rory doesn't really have like anything set up for after graduation. So it's kind of interesting as well that like even when she like kind of finds herself again and ends up back at Yale, she still doesn't really have any plan for after Yale. And obviously like, uh, you know, that plays out in the the reboot. But uh, yeah, it's like interesting to see how like, yeah, like after doing an undergrad in Ivy, like she really didn't have much to push her beyond that. Like even though she did have these specific dreams within journalism, she didn't really have the drive in some ways to go there. Well, it's it's interesting too because in the sort of series finale, she's prepping to go on the road with Barack Obama or whatever (laughs) situation it was. Uh, I think as a journalist or maybe it was a different uh, specific job, I forget now. But she did sort of just land into a job right out of school, but certainly it was not one that she was aiming for or necessarily wanted. And so 
she again sort of gets a privilege that a lot of people in the real world don't, which is finding a job straight out of university. But like you said, the reboot, I mean, if people comment on our social media telling us they A, love this episode and B, want us to do the reboot, we will do it. Okay. And we'll get more in depth into it. I promise. But it's still like, it's, it's worth to bring up just like her path. She never finds that purpose maybe even that she had for so many of the first few seasons where it was like Harvard, 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 Harvard. Okay. Now Yale, Yale, Yale. Sorry. can't say those fast. Um, but yeah, I think once she's done school after that, you don't see her on any kind of path that she probably wanted to be on. So it's kind of a little bit sad in that sense. I guess in that sense, though, it almost makes me happy that she didn't accept Logan's proposal. Because like, that would have always been like, like dropping out of Yale and moving in with her grandparents, just kind of like taking the easy route out. So like, maybe she wasn't at a point that she was like, actively knew what she wanted to do in her career. But at least she like, didn't just settle to like, focus on like, marrying someone and like, marrying into money and just like, still trying to find her way. She was offered like a good job at like in Rhode Island or something, but she's waiting for this New York Times fellowship that she doesn't get. So it's kind of like that final disappointment that she like held these lofty dreams, but then like kind of put all her eggs in one basket. And then when she didn't get it, like was kind of screwed, which is kind of like a sad way to like end her story on the show. But again, it's kind of like realistic that like, yeah, you can't always get the thing that you've waited for. And like, even given that she chose to like not marry Logan and to like find her way and like was willing to like adjust plans and like accept this opportunity on like the political tour. The more I talk about like I do have some respect for the way they ended her story. Like it's realistic that like she faces some disappointments but like does handle it reasonably well. But yeah, I just have to say I hate where she ends up in the reboot. It's like so sad to come back and watch after all these years her still just like being with a guy who's like married is like, have you learned literally nothing? Like, that was, like, so painful to watch. I agree, too. And to come back, actually, to Lane and Zach, I think it's really interesting to consider Lane's storyline as we're talking about Rory. Because, of course, Lane, as well, seemed to always be fairly smart in school. And I don't really remember her having that many issues. Maybe not considered, like, a gifted child like Rory was. But what's interesting and something I don't love, to be honest, is that she ends up married with twins at, what, 22? And, of course, that happens to people. Like, <laughs> that's fine. But at the same time, it's like she was on a cool path because she wanted to be a professional musician like, and be in a rock band. And so did Zach, obviously. And, I mean, <laughs> my God, sorry. Again, reboot talk. But, like, I despise the, the life they gave her in the reboot of just, like – Anyways, because for me, Zach is, like, a very, very much a man-child. And I just really can't deal with such men. He's just a very typical, like, aloof person who, and Lane just ends up sort of being his mom, which happens to so many hetero relationships. So I just really, really, really hated that. So I think it's a bit unfortunate. Like, I don't understand what the impetus was to make her pregnant with twins. Like, what was the reason? <laughs> like, like, maybe it's just another good example of the show being, like, realistic. Like, this is what happens in life. Like, most shows do give people, like, a better happy ending. Whereas, like, this show's, like, more realistic, like, I don't know, sometimes things don't go your way. And sometimes you get pregnant, like, on your honeymoon the first time you ever had sex. And sometimes you, like, don't get the only job you've set out for, you know? It's sad watching because you love Lane and are so invested in her story. And, like, yeah, like, there's a lot of people in, like, small towns that, like, end up just staying there forever because they, like, had a kid young or, or whatever. And, like, that is, like, a little bit sad, like, because Lane did have big It's not like she wanted that. Like, it's not like she always dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom and staying in Stars Hollow forever. So I think it's a little bit sad to watch some of those dreams go away. But she's still at least drumming a bit in the reboot. And like they're still doing some stuff. But like I agree, it's uh, it's a little bit disappointing to watch. 
But at least it is kind of realistic, sort of. I love that Lane and Rory are always supportive of each other in their very different lives. Lane, you know, as far as I remember, she never really was jealous of Rory or envious of her path. Like she knew that she wasn't going to go on the same path to an Ivy League as Rory. So, and Rory certainly didn't seem to ever want to be pregnant with twins at 22. So they both like definitely have respect for each other's life paths while they're on them. And I think that's like a beautiful friendship that you don't, you start to see less and less of, I feel like, you know, by the end of the show, but certainly in the first few seasons, I loved, I love their friendship. I would love to know what other storylines or seasons, or honestly, even like episode scenes, if you want to get specific that you liked, or I realized (laughs) after taking notes, there's so many, situations where I was like, oh, I don't like when that happened, (laughs) even though I enjoyed watching. But yeah, are there any arcs, uh, seasons that you really thought were the most memorable that you want to discuss? I think in terms of arcs that I liked, I do like all of Rory starting at Yale, like moving to Yale and moving in. Like I think it was like, especially like me starting university, like I think it's a really fun portrayal of like someone transitioning into university life. Um, That's definitely like a memorable plotline for me for sure and that contributes to the fall feeling too like I feel like because it's the fresh start so every time you want to feel that first day of school vibe just watch this yeah totally totally and those are the other like specific moments that I love in Gilmore so like all the like first snow episodes with Lorelai's whole like stuff with snow is like so wholesome and the various like fall festivals and winter festivals in Stars Hollow like is very Connecticut and like I love I love it for that like I love watching it in like the fall winter for those scenes um I think is so awesome uh and then I'll contribute one plot line that I liked less at varying points in time which we haven't come up yet was Christopher yes and like all of his whole plot lines like there's times that I think it's interesting that they explored that like she has so much history with both Luke and Christopher Lorelai so it is like interesting to see but a lot of it with Christopher is like hard to watch, especially then like when his wife gets pregnant and then she leaves and he's like a single parent again and like Emily gets involved. Like a lot of it is like so messy that I'm just like, oh God, like why? Uh, and at the end of the day, like I was always rooting for Luke. So like Christopher is only ever kind of getting in the way. And like there's so many times that Christopher should have just like let things go or like not done what he did. And there's times that Lorelai too should have like been more open with Luke about things. Like there's like oh, just so many mistakes that happen there that yeah, it's hard. And like he makes so many mistakes with Rory. Like it's, you know, it's hard to watch, but I think it is like an important part of the story. But maybe some of it they could have like omitted. Oh my gosh. The only thing I see about Christopher, like, because on Instagram, if you go to the explore section, you see like posts tailored to you, whatever. So there's a lot of Gilmore girls there. And like anything with Christopher's face on it, I click on it and the caption is like, I hate this person. You know, like there's just like slander. There's only Christopher slander. The actor is amazing. I think he humanizes him. Absolutely. He's to me, he's not a villain. He's not a mean guy. He's not evil. He doesn't, it's nothing like that. So I super appreciate the nuanced way that he portrays this character. I think it absolutely works. But like you said, like you're not rooting for him. Like you're just never rooting for him. Maybe in the early seasons, if they had got back together really early, maybe that would have changed the trajectory of the show and we would have been rooting for Christopher more. You know, it is nice to see that like, okay, yes, you know, someone that you were with when you were younger and had a child with doesn't need to be your end game person. You don't have to end up with this person just because. So there's really nice representation there of like, no, my soulmate, whatever, is actually someone I met later. So that's kind of cool. 
I mean, season six and seven have so many like hard to watch storylines, episodes, speeches. <laughs> but I think it was really hard to watch towards the end when Lorelai and Chris decide they're going to divorce that she says, like, I really wish it was you that I wanted. You're the man that I want to want, if I'm not mistaken. And she's crying. It's really heartbreaking because, you know, could have been the quote unquote perfect family, right? Like the parents are together and now we're all happy. And she just knows, I mean, they both know that it's just not the case. It can't be that way. It's hard to watch. But yeah, every time he came on screen, I'd be like, oh, okay, no, go away. (laughs) The worst is Gigi though. Like, I said Rory as a kid was maybe an angel child. Gigi was just a devil child. Yeah. Uh, I feel bad for anyone who has kids like her. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but really, she stressed me out so bad. I know. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, we haven't even really talked about Emily and Richard Yeah. Yet. Uh, and I do love them both. I mean, you love to hate them. Like, they're obviously terrible at m- many points in time. But I think, especially as I've rewatched it now, like later in life, I really do see like the Gilmore girls, like Emily is one of the three. It's not just about like Rory and Lorelai. And I think like Emily's storyline is really interesting. Yeah, she has a lot of great moments, like when her and Richard do split and she tries dating and then just like sobs at the end of the night. Like, I think it's like partially when she realizes that Richard like is basically saying he doesn't want Roy to end up like her just working at the GAR and like running silly events. Like, it's really hard to watch how that affects her and stuff. And I think it's just, it's a really like interesting portrayal of, of yeah, that side of being a woman of that age and that type of relationship where like that really is your job and your role like that is not all glamorous. And I, I don't know, it's a really interesting like plot to explore as well, as well as I think Richard's a great character. I love watching how he like opens up to Rory and like how they have kind of like such a sweet relationship. He's the one to then really, is one of the first ones to see that Rory's really off her path and needs to like, make a change when Roy's living with them. So I think they're really great characters. Um, and I do love kind of seeing how they develop over the the seasons as well. This was one of the things that I found really endearing about the show, even though obviously there's so many problematic moments with them and sometimes they're really frustrating, but I felt like it was a little bit relatable. It was just like, oh, this feels like my family kind of. And it also like just felt really special to have that relationship. Although I mean, it felt very real, actually, in the way that it wasn't perfect. And they had, like, obviously that generation, there's, like, a lot of problematic things about, (laughs) you know, grandparents and uh, older people in society, generally speaking, (laughs) like, just so different from our generation and lens and views. But I thought that was pretty interesting to see on the screen and overall very endearing. Yeah, I feel similarly. I mean, they're really representative of this white boomer hetero relationship, very traditional, not only in their own personalities as like traditional, like even rich people, you know, the way they talk, you're supposed to be so polite and have all these like rigid ways of interacting with other humans, but just in their own relationship where he's the traditional, you know, man of the house, he goes to work and Emily stays home and does functions. And so it's a very traditional relationship that of course sort of implodes in season four. And I think that was so beautiful to watch almost because you rarely see depictions of such a traditional couple later in life, right? And their sort of old age actually splitting up, even if it was temporary, it was a real separation. I think it could have been even very interesting to see them completely split. I, I would not be upset at that because, you know, I feel like so often you hear stories of like people that are like, my grandparents married when they were like 15 and they've been together since and they're now 95. And I'm like, 
I don't know. I'm worried about your grandma. You know, like I don't actually, I really don't like romanticizing couples that have been together for like 60 plus years because honestly, at the end of the day, they're usually not actually the best relationships. But there's also like so many sacrifices made that aren't seen there to make that work kind of. And it's just like devastating to think in those relationships. Like you see that with Emily here too, which I think was so nice to show that like you're just kind of there as like a, prop and like also just to fulfill only those functions and he gets to do everything else and like have kind of like all the I mean it's very traditional obviously like that hierarchy kind of but um but yeah I thought it was a really interesting exploration because I feel like there's probably so many women of that age and throughout history who have felt similarly and who might have even played those roles and maybe found a little fulfillment in it, maybe even never got to the point of like thinking about how it might've affected them or like taken away from their identity or sense of self. But it is probably so common in our society. Also because Emily herself believes in this kind of relationship. Both Emily and Richard are always going on and on about how with Lorelai, when you get pregnant, you get married. And like, they never let go of that really. And so it's, so fascinating, even more fascinating to see that Emily, who had the same willingness to be in such a relationship as Richard, is still the one that says, actually, uh, I'm not happy. Because we we could have just seen their relationship keep going as it did without any interruption. And Emily could have just shut down any misgivings she had or any gripes she had about the relationship. And that would have been extremely realistic as well. Um, so it's just really... Uh, wonderful that they decided to show that it doesn't matter what age you are, if you're unhappy with your relationship, you have to address it and you can address it. It's hard, but she does address it. I mean, it's all very nuanced how they go about it and stuff, but really, really fascinating to give older actors, older characters arcs that are just as engaging as the younger people in the show. It's so true. I feel like that's so rare to have them be like just as present to the show like their development like she's not done like growing and learning emily yeah i love the tailgate episode where it's like the harvard yale football game and like they're all there it's like such a quintessential fall episode and that's where emily finds out that richard's been getting lunch with pennell and lot like once a year and it's like maybe the start of when they end up like splitting up basically because they like get in such a fight over that and then i love i mean it's really sad but i love the episode where i think it's when richard's mom has died and emily finds that note that like on their wedding day richard's mom had like tried to convince richard to not marry her and to like go back to pennell and lot and emily just gets like drunk and she's like wearing sweatpants like smoking cigarettes inside and laura like comes over and is like oh like are you playing at the funeral she's like i don't know like what would pennell and lot do and she's just like so sassy it's just like it's so awesome to like watch those moments which like totally lets loose is like yeah it's pretty cool yeah that's a tough scenario it's not traditional cheating I, I don't I'm sure most people wouldn't even consider it cheating but it's an emotional betrayal that's like really hurtful and it also really sucks that he doesn't like realize how hurtful it was right away but like on some level he must have because why else would he not tell her about it so yeah i agree amanda that it was sort of the beginning of the end of their separations at that point i love to even watching richard like struggle with it like when emily does then start dating and richard like rear ends the guy's car like it's funny to see these like grown adults like grandparents age people like just being like jealous like petty kind of teenagers again it's like i don't know it's a funny like 
show of like love through the generations. That's true. Yeah, because they don't talk. They're not people that talk about their emotions for sure, right? Right. Um, I literally don't think they've ever stated an emotion that they've felt throughout all seven seasons. They show it in other ways. So yeah, it is really funny to see like the, the links they go to, to let their feelings out without saying it. It's true. There were such funny communicators. Even like, I love like all the like montages. I forget there was one specific episode that they were all fighting about something and at Friday night dinner. And it just shows it like cycle through them, like crying, laughing, screaming in each other's faces. And it even circles back to like Christopher. And she's like, we were too young to get married. It's like, they're still just like coming back to this same old argument. Like it's so funny. And I remember one of the first Friday night dinners, Luke, goes to he leaves and he's like it's weird like no one really said anything to me but I just feel so like deeply insulted and like insecure and Lorelai's like ah yes you've been Gilmore and it's so true like that's how they communicate it's so like passive aggressive and like backhanded um it's like hilarious to watch but like yeah like living that would be uh really something yeah I saw some TikToks like earlier this year of people that were like Actually, Lorelai is the bad guy. She like has these parents that offer to pay for her kids' school, and all they want in return is that they come over for dinner. Like that's so stupid that Lorelai hates them. And in some ways, okay, maybe is Lorelai too stubborn? I think you were mentioning that Amanda earlier on in in the recording, like how Lorelai can be stubborn, like way past reason. But I certainly don't agree that she's the villain. I don't agree that Emily and Richard are these perfect people that are the perfect parents either. I can relate, you know, a lot to certain aspects of what Lorelai goes through, especially with her mom. The thing that I would have loved, though again, it's realistic how they did it. I would have loved at some point towards the end of the show if, if Emily finally just said to Lorelai, like, I apologize for the ways I hurt you. Honestly, it's actually just not realistic at all for that to have happened. So I get it. And, you know, Emily does grow in so many ways, especially in the last season. You can tell that she really has changed. She respects that Lorelai is going to make the decisions that are best for her. So there's growth there, but it just sucks that so many interactions over the seasons with Emily and Lorelai, it was just Emily being like acting the victim, right? Being like, oh yeah, I'm such a bad mom. Like I was so awful to you by putting you in the best schools and all this stuff. And it's very, yeah, realistic of the generation she comes from, of the type of parents that her and Richard are, where they think that providing the basic necessities to a child is like parenting at a hundred percent. And it's like, maybe reflect on that a bit. It's like painful almost to watch because Lorelai never gets that from her mom or Richard, not to say that Richard gets a free pass, but you know, Lorelai never gets that validation of her mom telling her like, yeah, I'm trying to show you that I've grown, but I want to tell you I apologize. So that would have been just beautiful to see, but totally understand why, you know, it wasn't going to happen that way. Yeah, it's so true. I feel like they do have these like subtle moments where they connect in ways they hadn't before. But yeah, it's sad that like that's as best as they get. They never get this like outright discussion of it. But no, like I think one of the sweetest ones I remember is I think it was when after April when like Lorelai and Luke were engaged, but like things were like looking kind of rough that um, Lorelai finally like opens up about that to her mom and it's like I just don't think it's gonna happen and like up until now you would totally expect Emily to just be like of course and like be all pissed off about it but Emily just genuinely is empathetic and is just like this must be really hard like sometimes marriages don't work out and I think it's like Emily sees that more now that like sometimes things just don't work out and like sometimes you face issues in a relationship you can't 
you can't fix or that you need to to really work through. And I think it's really sweet to see that she drops that judgment and just treats Laura like a fellow like person with a heart, you know, that is probably struggling with this. So they have those cute moments, but yeah, it's sad that broadly in that generation, that's like the best that there was. Like it was hard to get, I think. And I think like a lot of people who probably have that experience in real life that it's hard to get like that verbal like apology or validation from people of that generation. But it is sweet to at least see those ways that they do like mend things in their own way and like connect in new levels. Yeah. Obviously they love each other a lot, but the history there that we don't really see much as viewers because we, we get like a couple of little flashbacks, but like we don't see what Lorelai went through every day. I think the way that the grandparents treat Rory too is like much kinder way than they must have treated Lorelai, maybe even for their own growth as humans. Like they probably got over some of the behaviors that they we're doing as parents back then, even though not all of them as we see. But I feel like even the way that Rory can view them, like, oh, they're not as bad as you say kind of thing at some points, you know, it's like, well, we don't get to see that history, but we can still like feel it. And we can still see all the conditions that Emily especially puts on their relationship, which is unfortunate, but it's also the reality of many people. I think they do good job exploring that totally and like i wish they even explored more like it must have been actually so hard for lorelei to like watch her daughter getting close with her parents after everything and she obviously like loves rory enough to not be like they did all these horrible things to me like you better stay away from them and to like let her connect with them but like it must have been so painful for her to i mean in so many ways like having to ask for their help but then also watching them grow closer and like having relationship that she never got to have with her parents like must have been so challenging and painful for Lorelai and I think I mean the show like makes it clear that she's going through that but they don't really really delve into it yeah I mean it's mature of Lorelai like as much as like in plenty of ways like she lets her immaturity through like I think by and large she like did her best to like let Roy make her own decisions and like have his own relationships even if they were they were at times tainted with with Lorelai's history I think given how much history there is like it's pretty admirable that she like kept a lot of her pain and stuff quiet to like let Rory pursue these this, these aspects of her life and those relationships yeah and I really respect Lorelai not only for leaving home in the first place not just by herself but with an infant but also you know not creating a relationship with her parents until she was ready and even then in the pilot she only goes back to her parents for rory she's really that sort of rare character who comes from wealth but who genuinely doesn't use it except for when she you know at this point she needs it for her child and maybe a later point in time there's a lot of money things with lorelei but you know for basically what 15 years she literally doesn't touch her parents' money. And that's rare, right? You see a lot of like kids that come from rich families that like maybe they live on their own or whatever, but they know they have access to their parents' money. Even me, like my parents were never wealthy or anything like that. But let's say I'm short on rent one month, I can call my parents up and I know they'd give me money, right? So that's a, a huge privilege. But Lorelai decided to stop that because for her own mental health, she couldn't have a normal relationship with her parents for a little while. And I think it's just really, that's like the most mature thing on the planet in my point of view. I don't see her as like the quote unquote, the villain by asking 
for money for Rory and then being upset that she has to go see her parents every Friday night for dinner because for Lorelai, you know, they haven't healed. They haven't healed all the trauma, especially because Richard and Emily don't even think they did anything wrong. So that's, (laughs) you can't really heal that. And Lorelai week after week has to go see these people and interact with them. And like you're saying, Amanda, see Rory be loved by them almost unconditionally. And she has to witness that and just sort of shut her mouth, essentially. I mean, okay, she doesn't really ever shut her mouth. <laughs> um, sort of philosophically speaking. Yeah, I think I. that's why, I, especially now, I think probably the older I get, the more I'll resonate with Lorelai in that sense. And I especially love uh, season one. I really liked just seeing the Gilmores interact with Lorelai and Rory, discover what their life is like and all the episodes that relate to that. And I especially love episode nine, when Dean and Rory uh, stay out, I think at Patty's, they fall asleep in the dance studio by accident. And Emily was at home with Lorelai. I think that was when she hurt her back or maybe that was a different episode. And so they realize in the morning that Rory hadn't come home. So they're worried. Uh, once they find out that uh, Rory was with Dean, everything's okay. They have a fight in the kitchen. Basically, that Emily is telling Lorelai, Rory's going to end up like you. She's going to end up pregnant. Everything bad is going to happen to her. Like, do you want her to have a bad life and all of this? And I love Lorelai's responses to everything Emily says. She's defending herself. She's defending Rory. She's defending the relationship between her and Rory and really just telling her mom, like, literally, you don't get to come into my house and tell me how to parent my kid. And also the fact that Emily constantly tells her, like, your life sucks, basically, right? You shouldn't have had this life. You got pregnant and it ruined your life. And Lorelai's like, I have a life. I like my life. Like, stop telling me that I ruined my life when when I have a more enjoyable life than I would have had if she had gotten married to Chris or if she had stayed at the Gilmores. And it's just like, wow, I just love how Lorelai stands up to herself and seems to always really say what I'm thinking as well as a viewer. And I love that. Totally. And even like starting her own in and everything is like, like she was still ambitious. It's not like she like gave up dreams or like settled in any way like she just wanted to do it her own way and like follow her own path and yeah I think it's so beautiful like you said like yeah she does it really on her own and like even she goes to like Luke for money before her parents and she has that support you know she really builds her own family outside of there Uh, and that's why it's so hard when Emily comes back and sees like where they had lived at the inn when Rory was like an infant and they go down to like Mia's wedding and you can really see how like much Emily's affected by it. But yeah, but it still is with that judgment that Emily's like, how dare her leave her life with us for this crap? Whereas like, that's not at all how Lorelai viewed it and certainly not Rory. So just, yeah, such a difference of opinion on it. There is one scene that I want to share with both of you and listeners. I don't know if it's my favorite scene of all time because it's actually quite short, but it's certainly my favorite speech of the whole show. So this is sort of coming back to the later seasons. At the top of season seven, so uh, Lorelai and Luke have broken up. Luke was not ready really to get married to Lorelai or to continue their relationship in the way she wanted. And she is talking to Suki about this at the inn. Suki is like, there must be a way forward for you both. Like, like you both love each other. It's Luke and Lorelai. Like, you guys have to figure this out. And Lorelai basically gives a speech where she provides an analogy of feeling like Luke is driving the car of their relationship and she just wants to be in the passenger seat. She wants to experience life with him. She doesn't need to be in in April's life hugely yet, but she certainly doesn't want to be shunned from it. And realistically, she's just holding onto the bumper of the car and Luke is just driving. And that imagery 
I think will stay with me forever. I'm, I literally just got chills like <laughs> thinking about it because you don't get that many analogies. I feel like throughout the show, whenever Lorelai's has all these big speeches, like I don't know, she's she never really said anything like this before, so it's kind of shocking and in a in, sort of in a good way. And yeah, basically just saying like I'm on holding on to the bumper of a car that's going. I don't know how many miles. I don't use miles. Anyways, really really fast, <laughs> and I'm getting hurt. I'm literally getting scrapes and scratches because of this and Luke is inflicting this on me and I can't do it anymore. Like I love him, but I have to step away. And that's like, wow, just holy moly, so much to like reflect on there. And I think it was, yeah, just like, I think my favorite speech of the whole show. I think Lorelai is amazing. I really do. I think she's like, definitely, I mean, I think this is common, but I definitely view her as the best character, not only for being funny and entertaining, also being in tune with her own emotions and being able to communicate them well with other people and navigate life in a way that is productive for her while also being caring for others. It's quite special to see. She's definitely one of the best characters of all time, in my opinion. <laughs> There's a beautiful scene she has right when she's opening the new inn. And I think it's where like Suki lets her down and like because she was too busy with the kid and like misses an appointment, the sink gets like shipped back away or whatever. And she like opens up with Luke and she's like, I've always been really happy being alone, but sometimes I just really wish I had a partner. Like I just wish I had someone to like help pick up the slack. Like she just like finally just shows like my whole life I've been doing this alone. I've raised this kid by myself. I've started this new business and like, Yes, I like it, but like it is hard. And sometimes I do wish I had like someone to help me and just not have everything on my own shoulders. And I really love that moment with her too. That's she is so independent, but she also isn't like blind to the other side of that and does want to find love and find a partnership. And I don't know it's yeah, it's a really touching scene, especially because we like are all rooting for Luke at this point, I think, as viewers. So we're all like, oh, like just marry her, Luke. Like, <laughs> helper <laughs> yeah it's it's a great illustration of the balance that we can all strive for which is to be independent in some ways meaning that you know you can take care of yourself you know that you're secure in who you are but knowing that as human beings as like a literal species we are meant to be in community we are designed to need other people and so her admitting that is really important right because otherwise the whole show would just be this this woman who does everything on her own and that's cool but i don't actually think that that's what we need as humans based on you know Brene brown basically <laughs> yeah i i absolutely love that and, and that she knows it's okay to to need other people and rely on other people and then she tells suki like hey you let me down this can't happen like you know that sort of thing so yeah, that was a beautiful moment. I think one of the scenes that really stood out to me, it is at the very end, but the part where the town comes together and has the celebration and the send off. But the part that makes me the most emotional is, was it Richard who said like something along the lines of, this is all a reflection of you, Lorelai, and your impact on the community and who you are as a person. I can't remember what he said, but something along those lines. I remember that he calls her a remarkable person, but he, uh, his voice catches on the first R, and so he has to re-say it. And I think uh, that's literally 
the only I don't know if it was an acting choice or written in the script but like that was the only time this man has like essentially stuttered on a word Mm. throughout the whole series and it was because he was emotional and that fucking broke me (laughs) I'm like getting teary-eyed thinking about it that is such a beautiful scene just the because it's so true it's like the impact that one person can have on a community on a, a life of somebody who you've raised since they were a baby like going off to do things in the world but also the reflection of the love that she offers to so many different people in so many different capacities I think it was just so beautiful that's it made me cry so much because I was like wow this sense of community is very rare like for someone to be able to have that many people involved in their lives that they also genuinely care about and help and the effect of that that's just like so humanly powerful and I don't really witness that very much in life or even on TV so it was definitely a moment where I just sobbed literally for hours after <laughs> okay that's such a good scene and I love to it Lorelai's graduation like she originally wasn't even going to invite Richard and Emily and it's like Roy that does it and they're like super annoying and like kind of embarrass her because they're like setting up all this like professional cameras and stuff but then when she actually like crosses the stage like Richard and Emily just like have tears in their eyes and are so happy and so proud to like see her there. And she also looks just like genuinely happy to have them there. That's such a nice moment that they all realize like, despite all these differences, like this is such a big moment. And like, we're glad to be all sharing it together. Like, I, oh, yeah, that one's really sweet. Absolutely. So as we're wrapping up, I want to know if you both have any final thoughts on the series. It's been super fun talking about it. I think there's certain things like now really talking about it in depth, and, like the back and forth that I've noticed, like, different parallels and different characters or like little kind of like overarching themes that I maybe didn't like think about as much watching the show throughout. Um, It's been really fun to kind of like talk through everything and kind of like dissect some of these characters. Um, I'm excited to keep continue my fall rewatch, my annual fall rewatching. Just really a great show. I would be like, I hope that people like it and want to do a reboot episode because I have like super different feelings about the reboot. So I'd be, well, I'm interested to see people's, uh, response and if we'll get back together to talk about the reboot sometime yeah honestly if people were like don't do a reboot episode i think we should still do one so (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because no it really is like a unique show like i don't think there's many others of the same uh like kind of topics but that level of like dialogue and like character development without like huge things happening in the plot yeah i also think the caliber of the acting is not talked about enough In the sense, especially of like, there's not a second of this show where like people aren't really in character, being sincere, being genuine with their acting. Like everything is so well done for a show that's, you know, doesn't go to like crazy locations or whatever, but especially because like, I mean, first of all, we can have a part two just for the (laughs) original series because there's like a trillion things that we, you know, haven't touched on. The amount of scenes where like, especially Lorelai has like a 20 page dialogue thing, like their monologue to say, and it's like a five minute, you know, shot or take. And it's like, whoa, because like you could, you know that they must have had to restart that so many times or especially where they're walking through the town and talking at the same time. So it's like, if they have to restart something like that, they have to go all the way back to the beginning and like, you know, there's really long, long, long shots, which is really impressive. And I also just want to shout out, of course, the theme song, Hello, Carol King as well. And I love that like the images that come up on the screen during the theme, yeah. <laughs> they start with fall trees. And it's just like, <laughs> that's so perfect. It's just the perfect montage of shots for the theme. I can't think of any other show that captures 
that sense of community where you know who everybody is, what their purpose is, how much they care. It was just really beautifully done and so endearing. Also, I want to second the acting, memorizing those lines. Like that is just so impressive. And for it being kind of like a big studio show at the time too, where they had so many episodes per season. So just knowing that they had to like whip these out all the time instead of a show that's maybe like six episodes per season and then you get a little time off. Like it's it's just wildly impressive. My brain's not capable of that. And I'm just like, wow, how do they do it and act and do such a good job too? It really is impressive. I think Lauren Graham is a really funny actress and I think she deserves to be in more things for sure. I know she was like in the Parenthood, I think it was called, but I can't wait to see a show with her in it as uh, a main and she can really make any word entertaining. (laughs) And she brought such a life to it. Like, even just, like, the way she, like, walks and moves. Like, she just had, had such a, like, painted such a picture of Lorelai. And even, like, the the few flashbacks of, like, young Lorelai. Like, they did such a good job with it. Like, yeah, they really bring such a life to the characters. So before we get to my usual task that I have for guests, I actually have a surprise task for you guys. <laughs> Which is that I want to do a little trivia with you. Oh, On... TV Guide, I found a quiz related to Gilmore Girls. So I want to go through and I'm going to leave them open-ended because honestly, a lot of them are quite easy. So I think you'll know the answer. So no no options presented, but let's dive in. Okay. Who speaks the first line of the series? I can picture it. Like they're in Luke's diner and Rory's not there. So it can't be Rory. And Lorelai's like talking with like these two guys that are hitting on her. But I don't know if like they might speak the first line or if it's her. No, it's Lorelai. Okay. Yeah, she says, please, Luke, please, please, please. Question two, which journalist does Rory idolize? Oh, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Like, I know it. Starts with a C like Caitlin. Christiana Amanpour or something? Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. (laughs) So how old was the actress who played Lane when she began playing her? I'm going to say 28. Close. Not quite. 25? Close. 26. I think Whoa. she's closer to Lauren Graham's age than Alexis. Whoa. It's like Jackson and Hannah Montana. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> okay, question four. Which major character was originally scripted as a woman? I actually have no idea. Yeah, I have no clue. It was Luke. Luke. Interesting. Interesting yeah. yeah. Yeah, not as like a love interest, I would assume, but it was just supposed to be a woman who owned the diner. And I think in the video I watched, I think uh, they said like there's just like too many female characters or something. <laughs> so they threw in a man, which like, mm, I don't like the thought process, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, the result is okay. Yeah. What is the name of Babette's cat that dies in season one? Cinnamon. Cinnamon. Yeah, I think you brought it up earlier, Amanda, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, it's like a lot that I like know that so well, but what can I say? <laughs> yeah. What is the population of Stars Hollow? I'll accept, you know, ballpark, obviously. Like 1,500? No, a lot more. 6,000. More, actually. More? Wow. wow. Yeah, 9,973. Huh. That is surprising. Like, my hometown in Connecticut was only 3,000 people. And I feel like it was like, I feel like Stars Hollow, like, looks even smaller. Just from, like, what they show on the show. It must be a type of thing where it's, like, just their corner of, like, the town is like who they consider to be the community. Yeah. But I feel like that's even like what my hometown was like. And it's still only 3,000. Like I can't imagine like three times that. I feel like that's like a plot hole. Yeah. This one's fun. Which actress also appeared in Dirty Dancing? Is it Miss Patty? No. 
It's Emily Gilmore, Kelly Bishop. Oh, okay. Whoa, yeah, she plays funny. the mom. That's quite an Yeah. What does Rory shoplift after her first kiss with Dean? Is it cornstarch? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> she runs away with it. And yeah, I just looked it up. I looked up the population of like this one town that people speculate Stars Hollow is based after. And it's also only 3,500 people population wise. Because actually there's like an inn called the Mayflower Inn in that town that the, the writer like went to. And that was like part of what she based like the, the whole story on. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Who has the last line in the series' original run? Is it Lorelai also? Nope. Rory? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What is the name of the secret society of women that Rory joins? They're like the Puffs? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You got it. (laughs) Too good at this. (laughs) Ooh. What item does Lorelai constantly have to borrow? Uh, Like Luke's truck? (laughs) I would say yes to that. Borrow that a lot. (laughs) But not the answer in this quiz. (laughs) It's very like commonplace item. A pen. Yeah. So that's the trivia. Nice. But my last normal task for you is to summarize this show in under 10 seconds so that if people haven't quite watched it yet, but they listen to the episode anyways, they will be really inspired to go watch it. So I think my 10 second summary is that's the story of like three generations of the Gilmore women and the older two are reconnecting for the very first time in like 15 years at the start of the first season um and so it really kind of shows all three like stages and ages of these girls lives all within connecticut so from like youth high school through starting university through like retired and trying to figure out your like 30 year marriage so it kind of has something for everybody love that if you're out on the road yeah. Oh, I'm not the only one that had the urge to do that. It's a potentially very cozy watch for you that you can watch every year if you want to. And there's characters that you can become very attached to and feel like you live in this town. If you want to escape your life and move to small town New England, this show might be for you. If you want to relive in your university days or you want to uh, become attached to characters who you grow to love so much that you might say, stop doing that, please. Please stop doing that. I hate you right now. This is a good show for that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, That's sort of what I was going to say. It's a show that never gets old. It always delivers on comfort and coziness, despite having situations or characters where you're just like yelling at the screen a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both so, so much for coming on the pod today. Of course. Thank you. Absolutely. Amanda, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they find me on the internet? I'm not deeply on the internet, (laughs) but you can find me on Instagram occasionally. Caitlin will tag my Instagram in the posting of the episode because I'm on it infrequently enough that I don't have my name memorized. (laughs) But I do occasionally post funny things. Yes. Love that. Thank you both so much. And that's the show. You can find us on Instagram, threads, Twitter, and TikTok at WatchDePod, or you can send us an email at watchdepod at gmail.com. Make sure to let us know if you can say watched it when someone brings up Gilmore Girls, and please share your 10-second summary with us because we would love to read them. Happy watching and see you next week.